<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hi everyone, welcome to Playgrounding 2017. This is me, Cara Fortier, here in the treehouse here at Theory Labs at the Brewery Artist Colony in LA. Playgrounding is finally back and I'm so excited. I really meant to bring you this episode last week, but the ducks weren't all in a row and because of that I just doing it now and I'm making this my excuse for bringing you an episode that's a little longer than usual this week. So see it as a makeup assignment. I couldn't help it. The episode, his interview is just so good. I couldn't break it down any farther. Um, so today you're going to meet Brett Dorr. He is a multidisciplinary artist known for his work building Rube Goldberg machines. He also does other types of interactive and kinetic devices as well. If that doesn't mean anything to you, um, Think back, you may have seen his work in a music video, OK Go, the video, the song was called This Too Shall Pass. Um, it went viral just not too many years ago. Um, it's one of the examples that most people know of his work. He and his team have also brought these types of machines and what he likes to call chain reaction machines to live stages as well. He does them, he's done it at like the Colbert Report as the opening one time, as well as huge conferences like Google I.O., Intel, and so many more. Um, he holds an MFA from the Arts Computation and Engineering Program at UC Irvine. But what's really most important to us, he's capable of building anything out of paper clips, what could be more important than that? Um, we spoke for an hour and a half. Don't worry, the episode's not that long. Um, I try to keep the whole episode down to around 40 minutes, but it just can't happen this week. He had so much to say, and editing it became just this excruciating task. So you know what? You're going to hear a little bit longer. It's going to be about 10 minutes longer than usual. Um, so I'll get right to him, but I want to prep you in one quick way. I really wish I'd thought of this while we were talking, but it just keeps going around in my mind. The machines he build take a lot of fun and interesting detours. They accomplish what could be seen as a simple, straightforward task, but in really, really interesting ways. And that's what makes these machines so awesome and fun to watch. And if you've never seen a Rube Goldberg machine at work, please just pause, take a second, and before listening, Google something like, okay, go, this too shall pass to see an example of some of the work um, that he's done, or just go to playgrounding.com slash 23, which would be awesome. And you'll also see embedded there some videos from the Colbert Report and this, okay, two shall, blah, blah, this too shall pass. Um, you'll also see his website, but really, let's get down to it. In this interview, what makes it so special is we talk about his through line, about how he found his path to what he really loves doing, but through a lot of detours and seemingly irrelevant stops along the way just like his machine. And before he became the go-to for building Group Goldberg machines, he was a commercial fisherman, a bus driver, a film and video editor, and a teacher. Detours are a part of life. They're a beautiful part of life. And I don't think I've ever had a conversation quite like this one about finding your path through play, path to success or contentment, whatever you want to call it. Just listen, I promise you'll be challenged. Here's Brett. Thanks so much for joining me, Brett. This is so exciting. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so a lot of people probably know you. I know when I first moved into the brewery and I heard that the person behind the OK Go This Too Shall Pass video lived here as one of my neighbors, I was immediately starstruck and made all my friends tell me if they knew where you were. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so does that, is that... Um, I don't know. Is that your calling card now for a lot of people who are well, getting to I, know you? Well, I guess it's it is it's it's a calling card. I think there <laughs> you know there've been some other some other things as well that Absolutely. have happened since then, and and that's been really nice. But that has that is probably the best known um, piece, mm -hmm. and and so that's something that I'm very proud of. And you know I you know other people worked on it too, but mm -hmm. um, you know I I was certainly uh, you know one of the one of the key creatives on that. Absolutely. And so. I know uh, when you Google, when you put in Brett Door, 
B-R-E-T-T-D-O-A-R, the first thing Google suggests is Rube Goldberg machines. Uh-huh. Um, can you tell us what a Rube Goldberg machine is before uh, we get started? <laughs> well, it's a it's it's sort of a very complicated way of, of accomplishing a very simple task, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, Rube Goldberg himself was a was a cartoonist, um, and he did a lot of stuff for. Uh, I think I don't. I feel like he he did it. Uh, did cartoons and stuff for like the New Yorker and stuff. He's incidentally, it's also kind of int- uh, funny that he was also a he he wrote, I believe, the first uh, Three Stooges movie. What? And I oh think it was gosh. even before. So it, it's sort of like a funny. That's that's, awesome. that's a funny thing as well. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of I I, I mean. I, I have no problem with the association with Rube Goldberg or anything <laughs> like that, but I also sort of feel like there's a little bit of a difference in terms of, um, you know, because of the nature of of him drawing things, mm-hmm. um, and I and the people that work with me, get, like make you know actually build the things. Yeah. Um, we have a different there. It's a different discipline, and so I kind of prefer to call them to sort of I guess I'm more likely to talk about them as as chain reaction machines Ooh, although yeah. it's easy enough to say you know when you say Rube Goldberg machine it's it's that's that's the thing that everybody kind of goes oh yeah yeah I you know <laughs> so but I you know or just call them calling them contraptions contraptions um, I like that word and I think that's sort of the thing that is uh you know because there there is a difference between thinking about something and actually making it yes and sort of and sort of positing you know sort of putting something out there as something that could be done Mm -hmm. um and actually making bringing it to life so Um, how do these things come to life so i mean i've seen you i've seen on the colbert report you've had a, a, mm -hmm. a contraption there i think you opened some pretty large conferences like google things like that yeah or, google um, io and uh also uh intel um um how do they how do you begin that conversation with like with someone who has an idea like how does it go to completion how does your team work usually like they'll i'll i'll be contacted by a client and they'll you know they will basically just put it out there and say you know we want to do this thing and um and we'll sort of address maybe a couple of themes there might be some things that they want to avoid. Um, like, you know, in some cases you won't, you know, in some cases like uh, pyrotechnics or something might be something that you, that they're totally cool with. Yes, absolutely. And in some cases that is something they absolutely want to avoid. And and it's not always something that you can, that you can really, you know, you, you, you have to you sort of throw some of that stuff out there and say like yeah. how do you feel about how do you feel about using these kinds of elements in some cases you have a a, a situation where um they're totally okay with making it as chaotic as possible and that's wonderful if mm-hmm. you can have if you can bring in this sort of sense of anarchy <laughs> that's really great um but if you know you might have a, a sort of something where they want to emphasize order and Anarchy is antithetical to what they're, you know, like I, I, we did a thing for a, um, for a hotel chain at one point and, you know, they really wanted to emphasize this seamless experience Ah, of something and this sort of sense that everything just sort of seems to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they do not want, they did not want this sort of thing of chaos erupting all (laughs) over the place. So you had to sort of, yes. you have to sort of shape things in that way and sort of get an idea of like what kind of mood they want and mm-hmm. what kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. It seems like in, in a t- complete contrast to the hotel yeah, where everything was like the seamless experience. I remember when OK Go went viral mm-hmm. with this two-shell pass because it was just this crazy, chaotic, yeah. messy yeah. Uh, experience. Yeah, and yeah. Was that fun? <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it seem, it I mean, like it's sort it of it's so it. I, you know, it's it's a funny thing because you sort of go, um, those can be really long days, and they can mm-hmm. be also sort of stressful. And you know, you can kind of come, you know, you go like you go home after 
after working on this thing for 14 hours or something like that, you know, you have this really, really, you know, it was so exhausting. And then you sort of go, Oh God, I can't wait till I get, you know, a break and can't wait till this is over. And uh, this is such a long day. And, you know, and you sort of like start grumbling a little bit and then you realize, well, I just spent, I spent 14 hours dropping pianos from the ceiling. I don't, I wasn't, that's pretty cool. It's That's pretty cool. it's pretty cool to be completely wiped out. I know. By doing by because you live in a wily coyote cartoon. I would love to be just worn out from a day of doing something like that. <laughs> yeah. I have a I remember when I was um uh I remember when I was uh like 10 something like 10 15 years ago or something like that. It might uh-huh. even be longer than that. I was um I was working on a um, a TV show. I used to work in post production um, as an editor um, and an assistant editor and stuff like that. And I was working on some on on a TV show that uh, like like a music based TV show. And I was working out of somebody's garage, and it was sort of like I had worked for just a really long. I'd worked through the night, mm-hmm. um, and it was you know, six o'clock in the morning and I was walking down the street in Brooklyn to get a bagel for breakfast and I was just wiped out. And I sort of thought to myself, like, what would I, I I was like, this is not what I want. Mm -hmm. And I, and I realized like, and I started thinking about like, well, what would I, what is my, if I, if all you take away all barriers and you say like, where, you know, what is my ideal situation? And mm-hmm. I had this vision of my, I had this vision of having, you know, like the, those, those industrial, those, those old sort of movies where you have the boss coming out on the balcony <laughs> and he's got a whole floor down in front of him of, of a team of people. Uh-huh. And he goes, you know, and, and he's addressing his people. And I, but I was like going like, I would have that, but I would also come out and be able to have a crew down below, down that I could, um, just sort of point and go like, you get, get like, you know, 300 feet of rope and get <laughs> like a s- giant sofa and, you know, you get me about six pairs of skis and <laughs> you get an outboard boat motor and, you know, like, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Like, just go do it and we'll bring it back and figure something out. So you and play. <laughs> so that's kind of, and that's kind of where we are now. And I think that's kind of neat. How did you get here? How did you get from that person with the bagel to like um, this premiere, you know, it's, it's been, it's, I mean, there's, it, you know, you don't, it's, it's not a, it's not uh always a smooth road. You mm-hmm. know, you have to, I, I think it's, uh, you know, and it, it's also something where you go there. Uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, go another anecdote. Mar- I, you know, Mark Marin uh, was giving a speech at at some point. He was he was giving a speech, and he said uh, was talking about his struggle to mm-hmm. get to the point where he was at, and it's been t- he's had tough times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, what do you do when you build the clown and nobody comes? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you build it, you know, the whole thing, if you build it, they will come. Well, what if you build it and nobody comes? Mm -hmm. And that is the, you know, that's always the thing that nobody really addresses. So true. You, it's always a thing of saying like, if you follow your heart and you do what you just work hard and follow your heart and you'll be successful. (laughs) And it's like, well, not really. (laughs) That depends. Yeah. I mean, and and you really have to define what success is. Mm-hmm. That's success isn't something that you that that somebody else can define for you, mm-hmm. unless you really just want to be, are determined to be unhappy. Because <laughs> there's always going to be some. You know, success isn't money. Success mm-hmm. isn't. You know, money's nice, but success isn't always what. You know, if somebody else is telling you what whether or not you're successful, then it's really you're probably not going to be successful. You're mm-hmm. not going to feel successful or happy. Yeah, uh, I think um, uh, at one point, yeah, I, at one point I was, I you know, when I was t- like 22 or something, mm-hmm. I was uh, talking to my dad, and my dad said, uh, you know, we were walking down the street, and and he said, uh, 
you know, I just really hope that one day you can be successful. And that was such a funny thing to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? Because at that point, like I had written a play, I'd been able to do all these little, you know, and it didn't, I had put the play on in somebody's, in like a little <laughs> crappy little thing. And awesome. we, I produced this thing and I was doing all this stuff that I felt really engaged with. And in my mind, I was like, I am, it never even occurred to me that I wasn't successful. I felt like I was successful because I was doing the thing that I wanted to be doing, mm -hmm. you know, and I was figuring it out and yeah. I was, you know, paying the rent by doing a job that I wasn't crazy about, but out mm -hmm. doing, I was able to make that, I was make, I was making it work and mm -hmm. I was sort of doing my thing. Yeah. And so it was, that was always sort of the funny thing um, that you have to you have to be the person that defines the success. Yes. And I think I went through a very long period of of because I went out and followed my heart and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And finances kind of became an issue. And my parents had to bail me out a few times. And, yeah. you know, my mother's definition of a success came from growing up in a very poor family where sure. her father died at a very young age. And yeah. my grandmother actually went out and shot their food and brought it home like she was a hipster before That's there awesome. was hipsters. She had canned everything. Um, she lived in Wyoming, so it was a lot easier to go out and shoot food. Yeah. But, um, but that my mother just said, I want to make sure that you can take care of yourself. And at that mm -hmm. point I really wasn't. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people out there who think if I'm not doing a job, if yeah. I'm not getting paid to do these things that yeah. are fulfilling to me. Um, but I know, uh, not too far back we had Amber on and she talked about how, no, you sometimes just have to suck it up and do those kinds of jobs, Yeah. but you're still defining, if you're not defining success by how much money you're making, if you're not defining sus yeah. success by that job, what you do with your time then becomes, yeah. but you actually were able to, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do, I do also, I mean, to go to touch on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it is sort of, you know, sometimes, Sometimes you need help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some like anybody needs help. Mm -hmm. Right. Everyone, and even if you're doing, you know, you, I, we had the the, you know, that the Great Recession thing happened, and it was sort of like all these people had done everything the right way, mm -hmm. and suddenly everything collapses, yeah. and and they need help too, and mm -hmm. it's sort of. But I think like there is a there is a thing where, like, it was also really. It's also been really important to me that I, whatever I'm doing, I can sustain. Yes. That it's sustainable and that it's not just something that is, you know, that for me personally, it's sort of, and, and however you sustain it, whether or not you're subsidizing what you're, this thing that you love to do, mm -hmm. like maybe you have a passion for knitting or something mm -hmm. and, you know, it's kind of hard to become a professional knitter, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe that's, something i mean people make make live maybe people do make livings at, at knitting i've oh, i know how to knit but i have never figured out it it seems completely impossible to me maybe i just knit maybe really just slow knit little doggy outfits or yeah what i mean <laughs> nice it's sort of car. like it's one thing to it's yeah, one yeah, thing yeah, to yeah, yeah. know how to make the thing yeah <laughs> and it's another thing to monetize it yeah. and actually figure out how to how to do that and yeah. it's sort of so it's sort of like whatever the thing is that you that is meaningful that that is that thing that that you find meaning from mm -hmm. you got to be able to sort of support it either has to support you or you have to support it yep and you know as as uh and i think that is also a source of a, a thing of meaning too mm -hmm. where you're not just where you're you're being you know, you're not just sort of taking handouts for them and, and relying on somebody else to support you through that. Exactly. Yeah. You know? um, and you, so sort of just kind of back to that thing that really got you going. It sounds like you've had an interesting trajectory. For, you know, you've, you've done theater, you were working in post-production. Yeah. Were you, think, and you, were you thinking about what you're doing now when you were a child? Was there a, a Squiggly um, line from there to well, where I, you are you now. You can look back and see sort of a through line. Yeah. Um, I I because when I was I think when I was a kid the first thing that I realized I wanted to do was I wanted to be a movie director. Cool. Um, and I was really interested in film. Uh, you know the idea of making movies and and stuff like that and mm -hmm. you know the 
sort of wanting to be Steven Spielberg because that was when the Goonies was out and all the great, all those really captivating um, movies that are aimed at directly at kids like me <laughs> um, and Star Wars and all that Absolutely. stuff, all that wonder, all that wonderful yeah. stuff where you sort of are just carried away, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that was something that I wanted to be involved in. But I, at the time, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and there is, a, there is a, a film industry in North Carolina now, but there really, I mean, there might've been, I don't know, but that was so far away mm-hmm. that did not feel possible at all. And so, uh, through high school and stuff, I became really interested in architecture. And so I was really, I I became really fascinated with architecture and I felt like, so I I, uh, went to architecture school for a little while and I didn't graduate. um, And I uh, dropped out because I realized I was like, you know, kind of just wanting to make monuments to my own ego and i sort of felt like maybe that's you know isn't that what architecture is might be but i was sort of like i I was sort of like kidding i'm kidding no i don't i don't know that's what a lot a lot of architects are sort of like yeah of course that's what it is (laughs) like like, that's all that's why i got into it you know and it is sort of you know but um it might i i sort of felt like maybe that wasn't the uh like I wasn't against making monuments to myself, but I sort of felt like maybe I could, you know, I don't have to go to school to learn how to build monuments to myself. I can just, you know, go out into the woods and yeah. cut down a tree or something and, you know, make, build little structures and stuff. And, you know, I can, that's something that I can do. I was doing that when I was a kid. Like I would yeah. go out into the woods and, and sort of have, you know, you build forts. You, yep. we, I had the luxury of having, you know, a lot of sort of now it's all developed into sort of uh, houses and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. there's there was this huge sort of at the time felt like a really big, you know, section of woods that just was completely open that I could sort of just go out into and just sort of, you know, build stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. have adventures and things like that. You know, and I, that's something I talked about really early on and, and with a woman who kind of inspired me to do this podcast, Meg Athavel, a.k.a. Meg Rabbit. Um, so Meg actually on our very first conversation that we had about play mm-hmm. um, really shot me in the heart. It was in a beautiful way was that she told me that someone that she knew that was a mentor to, or a friend of hers told her um try to think about the way you played as a child and mm-hmm. see how it influences your life oh, yeah, now absolutely, and don't yeah. lose that. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I definitely did. A lot of us learn as we get older to put those things to oh. the side and stop paying attention to them and do the things that you're quote unquote supposed to do and be responsible. But it sounds like a, just nope, like... never did that. Nope. <laughs> I always, I was always like, I, I, that was always a thing that was, I remember, um, I, I lived in Boston um, after I dropped out of architecture school. I, I uh, went to school for a little while in Boston before I dropped out of there. And um, I was I was going through like a, a depression because Boston is really cold in the <laughs> winter. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, you know, I was from North Carolina. I was like, oh, it's going to be wintry and it's going to be snowy. And then about two months later, I was like, I'm losing my mind. (laughs) Um, And I just sort of thought to myself, like, what? Like, you know, I, I, I just started thinking about when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, when I would get... I, I was I was kind of an anxious kid. I was kind of, um, you know, not I, you know, did not really feel like I fit in very well. And I always sort of felt pretty alienated and, you know, had a, uh, you know, a period of just feeling really ostracized. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I would do when I would feel just, you know, and there were there were times when I would feel just sort of like I didn't know what to do with myself Mm -hmm. and what I would do at those points, I, I real, you know, there would be just times where I would just go into the kitchen and just get stuff, paper plates and toothpicks and string and tape and whatever, and 
plastic forks or whatever and just uh, it just makes something and it wasn't ever it wasn't like i'm gonna make a car <laughs> or it wasn't like I, i'm gonna make some i didn't have a goal in mind mm-hmm. it was just i'm going to put stuff together and see what happens that's and not awesome. be worried about a result because <laughs> it wasn't it was just sort of like i just need to put i just need to do something with my hands mm-hmm. and I need to, you know, have this tangible thing. Yeah. Um, and that was always a thing because I think um, when I was, you know, I always, I, when you're working in a, um, when you're doing sort of cognitive work in a lot of ways, like if you're, um, if you're trying to write or if mm-hmm. you're trying to, um or if you're working in just sort of like an office sort of environment or something like that, um, or you're like, I, I've taught at times and, you know, sometimes you, you teach a class and you go, okay. And <laughs> you go, you know, there, there's not, you don't have this thing that you can Point hold to. on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you make something, you have this thing, even if it's a piece of crap, <laughs> you know, Here's the thing. I have evidence yes. of this time that I spent. Yes. And I don't know if, I don't know what that has to do with it, but it's sort of like this tangible evidence of having done something mm-hmm. um, yeah. that is not always, um, that is not always there in a lot of, in what, it seems to me what most people do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of like I've not I've I've spent a long time working in as you know, I probably most of my 20s I was spent well, not exactly, but I mean <laughs> you know, probably half of my 20s was spent as a temp in a I did the same. you know, and and you know, you get done with work and you kind of go I don't know what I did. I don't mm-hmm. know what the what was the point of me being there. Yep. And that is so alienating and so, um, you know, you just don't, there, you, you sort of feel like, uh, you know, there's a Kurosawa movie where uh, a guy, like a salary man, at the end of it, his, he, at, the, at the beginning of the movie, he's, he's getting an award for perfect, for never having missed a day of work. <laughs> and it, it, he's you know, sort of privately says to somebody, well, I, I, I was afraid that if I didn't show up to work, they would realize that they didn't need me. Oh, wow. And so you go, and, and so there's that kind of, that whole thing of going like this, at least that's how, at least how I would mm-hmm. feel is that this sense of don't let them know that you're not mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah. I felt like my this, a lot of time in my corporate world, yeah. I spent a lot of time, my departments all trying to justify our existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually translates out into how you feel at the end of the day about yeah. what you're doing with your life. It yeah, I think, that's, of, I think that's probably the case with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of, I. but I don't know what the answer to that is, except making sure, you know, I don't know if I, it's great if people can make it's it's good for people to make a living. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I think it's also important for people to have a thing that really means something yeah, too. Yeah, the meaning doesn't lie in that. Yeah, it and you don't. Have to lie your job doesn't have to be the thing no. that gives you meaning. Mm-mm. You know, but something has to. Yes, and that's you know? the that's the hardest part is yeah is leading to that, and that's exciting that you kind of always had that through line. You didn't leave those things behind. Yeah, the beautiful thing about it is it's also about flexibility and it's about being willing to switch gears they jump in and try things even yeah and i not, and one yeah. of the things is that like you know every one of each each one of the people that work for me mm-hmm. or work with me um well i write the checks so i guess he's working <laughs> yeah. for me um but it, it's i don't really like to think of it that way because i really do like to think of of people as collaborators yes um you know i also sort of reserve i have veto yes. right so though so i can kind of um but one of the things is that, you know, sometimes you just sort of realize that you, you know, 
you started going in this one direction and you had this one solution and you realize after you've reached that solution that there's a really a much better solution and then you go well we're taking this and throwing it away and that can be really hard for some people Mm -hmm. um and you know i think the the one thing that we all sort of understand is that doing it that way and you know sometimes you have to throw the thing out but the thing that you are throwing out is the thing that is getting you to where to this new solution Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have gotten to this new solution so this thing that feels like you are like you just wasted your time it wasn't a waste of time it's product it is productive and it is still a but it's it's how you get there it sounds like in a lot of ways, it kind of goes back to how you f- found your path to where you're going mm-hmm. too. You were doing a lot of different things. I, yeah. I know I did a lot of the same kinds of things. I tried something for a while. And at the end, I thought, why did I just spend 10 years in that career? Yeah. Because now it's all a waste of time. I have to start something brand yeah. new. But then I discover after trying to leave it behind that those skills are actually yeah. opening new doors. But there's also a through line. There I think is. for me, I have uh, like, if I think about all that stuff, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there was when I think about the like, like film and moving into uh, specifically moving into like editing mm-hmm. um, and specifically like I became when I was in architect, you know, I was really interested in architecture. And the reason why I was interested in architecture was be- and not art mm-hmm. specifically um, was because the sense that I got from going to art school was sort of like everything was infinitely justifiable. You could always mm-hmm. sort of go like, you know, yes. yes, this plate of spaghetti is a metaphor for <laughs> yes. uh, some other great thing. And, you know, it, it's not, I don't think that's what good artists do, but mm-hmm. I do, no, but I do think that that's something that you can get away with. You know, you have to be like inquisitive. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the thing that I remember from architecture school, uh, uh, old professor Antoine Romanos, uh, uh, you know, the very first day of, of studio was, it was like architecture is a process of inquiry. And mm-hmm. I think art is a process of inquiry. Mm-hmm. Any kind of creative work is a process of inquiry. Yeah. Um, and you have to be active in asking those questions. Whatever we decide to do, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like we can we can drop a car off a building or whatever, <laughs> but we have to do it with, in a controlled manner. And how do you control those things? How do you control all the variables? And that's mm-hmm. the really exciting thing. It, it's it's also sort of what's what's funny is that that to me is the really exciting thing. Yes, about dialing everything in and controlling variables and observe. You know, it's it's really pure science in a lot of ways yeah. because it's sort of like you you know, you start with a hypothesis, which is like, I'm going to make this bowling ball bounce across three trampolines and land in this bucket over here. And you go, that's my hypothesis. Now we're going to test, we're going to create an experiment to test that hypothesis. Have you actually done that? Yeah. (laughs) Of course you have. Yeah. It's easy. It's actually, no, it's what's great about it is, is that it's, it's a really satisfying thing. And yet it is super, super controllable. So Mm -hmm. like I did it, um, in front of like 6,000 people at the Moscone Center for in, like introducing the CEO of Intel, right? Oh my goodness. And it was like, not only that, we had a, you know, we were bouncing, we had this ramp that launched a bowling ball and bounced across two, oh my goodness. Uh, two trampolines. <laughs> and then we could have done probably four if we wanted to, because it's sort of like you just have enough momentum to do it and just landing in a in a uh basically a basin um and then that triggered that triggered something that released uh had an extension ladder that uh was on a platform and it tipped up the extension ladder and the extension ladder deployed and then it overbalanced so it stood up and then it locked in place and then slammed down on the on the stage so it actually like the whole thing traveled like (laughs) you know, something like 40 feet um, wow. from start to finish. And it was like, holy crap, that's awesome. So you, when you record, when you video these machines at work, it's even, so I don't know for, did, did you do the, the OK Go one? Just I'm using this one because it seems like one that a lot of people would know. Did I? Did you what? do it all in one take? Um, um, that it, yeah, it worked in one take. And how many times do you have to do that take? Just 
do you think? That was... Well, I mean, it, it, we sort of stopped counting after a while. We kind of, we counted, it was sort of like, there was a point where, um, I mean, depending on how well you know that video, mm-hmm. um, there's a point where there's a tire that rolls down a ramp. Yes. And it turns off, it, there, there are lights there. Um, and there's a point where there's, there's a lot of stuff before that. That is really finicky. Yeah. And so we did, so we basically didn't count a take after a while <laughs> until we got past the tire. Got it. Um, but so it was, that was your, your, your experiments and your adjusting and you're making it. Well, we're, I mean, we're doing all that as you go before we shoot. Well, yeah. I mean, because we're, we're dialing all that stuff in and making sure everything is placed exactly perfectly so and cool. all this stuff and, you know, making a lot of those choices um you know be in the in the sort of the testing process yeah. and when colbert actually that was a live that was live yeah that was live and that had to just go right at that particular moment what was great about that though was that you know it w- when i was talking to when i was talking to him um <laughs> it, because that was really he really wanted to be involved in that and actually he has a uh he's got a sort of a, a particular interest in that type of thing cool. because like and he used to it it's he was like uh and it was also kind of funny because i had seen um he used to be a, a commentator on good morning america he did years and years ago How um and the only he was like i was like yeah i saw the thing because he had he had covered the rube goldberg contest at oh, purdue university huh. and did this whole thing and it's and it was funny because it was sort of like he was very funny in it <laughs> and it was sort of strange. It was sort of seemed kind of weirdly out of place because everybody else was sort of doing it as like a, as a, uh, everybody's acting like, like journalists. Yes. Right. But he was sort of always already kind of injecting his own sort of goofy sense of humor oh, with things. COVID. And he, uh, uh, but he was like, yeah, that was the only story I ever filed with good morning America. And that, but it was, so we already had, he already had sort of an interest in that. And so we were talking about that and he said, um, what was really awesome about, um, him was that he was like, I think it would be great if it doesn't go off the first time. Like if you have to go, if you, if you have to run it through a couple of times, because I really want the audience to understand how delicate this is and we and i don't want the audience to think that this is something that's easy to do yeah and so what was really so i was sort of like yeah i can make it not work (laughs) (laughs) but um the uh the nice thing about it was that um we did it the first time we we did a run through in front of the audience it it hung up on something but it was also done it was also set off by a stage hand and so we filmed we shot that but it wasn't uh it wasn't steven that was doing it Mm -hmm. steven because we're on oh yeah of course my close personal friend steve um you know (laughs) but he was uh that was done by a stage hand Mm -hmm. and so we you know we got hung up and the audience sort of had a sort of let it was sort of like oh and then um and then we sort of tweaked a little thing and then he got up and, and did it and the whole thing went off perfectly. <laughs> and so it was like this great thing where it was like, didn't waste his time. Uh-huh. Didn't, you know, it was all told, you know, it, it got down. They took it, it. It happened and we got it. Oh, that's great. And that was great. And that it, was exactly the way I would have wanted it to go. That's awesome. Well, and I guess like my, my kind of F ending question here and, because I know there are a lot of people who are just looking for a hobby and looking mm. for ways to kind of get a life. You know, it's time to get a life. Yeah. Um, but there are also a lot of people who are maybe wondering if they can still do that thing they always wanted to do. And I don't know, like, just what would you say to people who are just kind of in that I had to give up, I have to give up everything to go adult. Yeah, but you don't. Uh, <laughs> you don't. Uh, I think it, it you know, it, it's, it, there's, it, you know, you have responsibilities as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not that it's not that 
you don't have responsibilities. And yeah. It's not that you don't, you know, people find time to go to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, but <laughs> the, uh, you know, and there's, and there's times where you, you know, I, I, there are all these things that there are all these things that you spend your days doing binging black mirror yeah <laughs> or dark mirror. or and you you can do stuff while you're watching tv yeah. right i mean i i always sort of like i you know i for a long time it was me and a box of paper clips and a pair of pliers with a cigar box in my kitchen you know just my workbench was a windowsill mm-hmm. and i would you know, sometimes I would have roommates and my roommates would just be like, what are you doing? And it's just like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if those, you know, the, it's whatever those things are. And usually the weirder, the better, like make it do something weird. It's not, it, it's okay to do something completely weird. It's okay to do something that is like, maybe the thing that really gets you off is like painting figurines or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Or doing some kind of like, I, I'm not really into like gaming or any of that stuff. Um, but I, you know, if that's the thing that you don't have to tell anybody about it. Yeah. And you know, it falls under, and there are a million definitions of play and I, I collect definitions of play. I don't choose them Mm -hmm. um, because there are just so many and they're all beautiful. But one of my favorites is, um, the idea of something, the purpose is in, in the doing of it itself Mm -hmm. and doesn't, Stuart Brown says purposelessness. We've had some conversations about yeah. that on this podcast before, but there is a purpose to it. It's because you want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Because it, yeah. it feels good to you. It, it seems great. You don't have to justify it to anyone. Because you're, I mean, I think when you're really doing, I'm not a, I mean, I'm not like a religious person, although my mother is a minister. Oh, wow. Um, but it like, I, I sometimes, you know, I, I, I like, I like the idea of, sort of God because the idea of God seems to be sort of like that, which is not definable. Mm -hmm. But I think like this notion of to find that thing where it feels like God has his hand on your shoulder, Uh you know, where you are, you know, you know, you know, I, 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 uh, a friend of an ex-girlfriend at one point had said like, I just don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. And I was sort of like, yeah, you know what you're supposed to do. You're just not (laughs) listening. You know, it's sort of like you have to be able to be quiet enough mm-hmm. and to not be afraid of idleness mm-hmm. and not be afraid of having a block. Mm-hmm. As long as you still, you end up doing something, you you still need to do to something eventually. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, those quiet periods, mm-hmm. those periods of... um you know, those, those periods where nothing is coming, mm-hmm. that just means that you, those are times to be quiet and to listen, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe and some of the voices you're actually listening to yeah. are not the ones that are going to lead you to th- those places. You have to find out what, yeah. where the fears lie. And and it's, so, uh, you know, it's, it's like you have to kind of, but it's, it, it's a, it's really about listening, right? Mm-hmm. You need to sort of, um, there's a, I mean, one, I heard a, I heard a, a story and it's like a Bible story, but I don't know that it's actually in the Bible or anything like that. And I don't, it's something about a prophet who goes out into the desert to find God. Right. Oh, and yeah. he goes out into the desert and he sits there mm-hmm. and the first night there is a, a, a thun, a wind, right. And it tears his clothes and he says, and that wasn't God. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the second night, it's a thunderstorm. Yes. And that that was not God. And then the third night, there the sky turns to fire <sighs> and all this crazy stuff. And that is not God. And the fourth night, it's absolutely quiet. And he hears a still, small voice. Mm-hmm. And it says, I've been here all along. Yeah. That's... My favorite Bible story. Yeah, I don't know if it. I don't. I've I've, I've never really read I, the Bible. I don't know where I think it comes it's from. Isaiah, but I'm yeah, I think it might like have I'm been. A bad, I'm a bad. Seminarian. It gets a little. It gets me a little misty. I know. It's I just did of, myself. It's such a beautiful story. It really is. And I kind of get like, I that's mm-hmm. something that is such a powerful story. But it's also, I, I think that's a lot about being creative, and that is a lot about what it means. You, 
it's not about the it's not about the fear flurry of activity it's not about the it's about mm-hmm. being able to be quiet enough yeah. to hear whatever it is that wants to be heard i don't know i and mean it was just whatever you. the thing mm-hmm. yeah whatever that you know um there's another uh, there's an architect when i was in architecture school that um he his name is James Hubble and he lives down in um, San Diego, sort of outside of San Diego, sort mm-hmm. of Santa Isabel. And um, he's does he? I don't know if he was ever trained as an architect, but he does these really really beautiful hand built buildings, mm. and it's so so exquisite. It's such a beautiful. And he was one of the he was one of the guys that I kind of like had to have a moment where I when I really started questioning whether or not I should be an architect or not because I was sort of like or continue in architecture school because I was sort of like, this guy's just out there building stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I don't need to go through this formal training thing. But he said he, you know, in, in one, uh, I saw him give a lecture and he said, uh, you know, when you put, if you put a line on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and you sit there enough, long enough, it'll tell you what it wants next to it. <laughs> and that's sort of like, and, and you look at his work and it's you really do sort of see this thing that is just sort of suggesting itself yeah and if that's really the way that Mm -hmm. if you can get there yeah then you've really got something wow and it doesn't always come right it doesn't always sometimes you have to for sometimes but you have to still do it yeah and if you stop paying attention if you try too hard sometimes it's just going to elude you but then you stop paying attention for a minute put your mind on something else and then suddenly Boom. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and the, there's the Chuck Close quote too. It's like, inspiration is for amateurs too, because you have to, so you have to go, you know, yeah. that's great. If you want to just be an amateur, that's fine. Yep. And you can just sort of wait for inspiration, but you also have to be there yep. and doing the work and be ready for it when it happens. Yep. And not every piece of work is going to be inspired, Mm-mm. you know? Yeah. And, and that, that's just that kind of thing of developing a practice. Yes. You have to have a practice and you have to, you know, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you have to do it. Yeah. And you have to do it every day as much yeah. as you possibly can. You have to just practice it. Yeah. And not, and, you know, I wasn't feeling it isn't an answer. No. You have to do it. It's like, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're feeling it or not. And you're not answering. You're not necessarily like sometimes you'll be answering to a client. Yeah. But ultimately you're answering to yourself. Yeah. And you five years down the line. Yeah. And at that time, are you going to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I decided not to do it because I wasn't inspired. I, was, I didn't, I yeah. wasn't feeling it. Is yeah. that going to be a good enough answer for the you that is still frustrated and not? And I think, I mean, I do think that that kind of, um, I mean, I, I, I think a lot, I, I think a lot about that sort of down, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think so much about like, if I don't do this, what I like, I don't think about like sort of the, that sort of is a, is a heavy thing yeah. to have to confront. And, and that sort of goes like, well, if I don't do it, if I don't, you know, um, I, I think like if, if say if you're an actor or something mm-hmm. and you go, well, if I don't get in a movie true like well you don't have any control over whether you get cast in a movie yeah true like you could be the greatest actor you could be you could be the and and you could be a completely undiscovered actor Mm -hmm. but you have to figure out how to how to still do that Mm -hmm. and and still find you know, find a way to do it. Yeah. If that's what you're supposed to be to doing. To do the things that you actually can't do have control yeah. of. My my acting school in New York, before we did anything, we had to read um, Stoicism. Mm-hmm. They made us, they gave us, you know, I can't remember which book it was, but uh, I was a philosophy major. I can't remember what I read yeah, in acting school. Yeah, you could say any, anything. Um, I, no, but they, yeah. they made us sit down and learn, here's what you can control in this industry and yeah. here's what you can't. So focus on the things you can and make yeah, sure you're doing exactly. those things for yourself. But otherwise, yeah. the world is a crazy place, but I definitely know it taught me for a lot of other ways ways in my life because yeah. I'm not an actor. Yeah. Definitely taught me to keep my, that finger on the things that I can and can't control. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can control whether you build it. You can't yes. control whether anybody's going to come. Exactly. And you have to you and part of that step is to make your peace with that. Yes. And to also realize that the thing that you're doing 
is worth doing even if nobody comes, right? Yep. Even if you don't have, um, even if you get no recognition from it, mm-hmm. that what you're doing is internally gratifying. Yes. And that it is, it, it that it that the act of doing it, you you get somewhere from it. Yeah. You know. Maybe it's just for yourself. Yeah. But. And the act of and the it's it's yeah. Wow, exactly. well, thank you so much. This, oh my gosh, we could, you have, there's so much of your brain, I would like to pick some more, but All I know right. we've got, we have, <laughs> we have a, what is it called? A, um, a restraint or constraint? What yeah, the it? enabling constraint. We have an enabling constraint yeah, at time on is, the podcast, but I just yeah. have really enjoyed this conversation. No, and I did too. It's nice. Is there anything you want us to know about that's going on now that um, there is a, there is a film that is going to be coming out um, in June. Mm-hmm. Um, called The Book of Henry, which is starring Naomi Watts um, and Jacob Tremblay and Sarah Silverman and Dean Norris and Lee Pace. Cool. Uh, Really amazing cast. Really great things. And it's directed by Colin Trevorrow, who is the director of... uh, uh, He he did... uh, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. He also did Jurassic World. Um, and wow. he's direct. He's also directing now uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, oh, um, wow. and so I was able to work with those guys and, and build something for that movie, and that's going to be really neat. I'm really looking oh forward to seeing that. Wow, so it's, me too. That's a, it's a much. This is a like not in the mode of like a blockbuster. This is a really intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, smaller movie, but really sort of handmade and really beautifully shot, best. and yeah. and a really. You know, I, I think it's a really neat story too. Cool. Um, and uh, but uh, it's a it's a really uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, yeah, so it's me coming too. out I think June 16th. I think so. That's going to be the thing okay. that is. You know, it's been in the can for a long time. Well, but um, make sure to um, link to that in the show yeah, notes, yeah. and as well as I will put, of course, the OK Go and maybe the Steve Colbert video there. But yeah. most importantly, a link to your website, sure, brettdoor.net. Uh huh. And um, yeah, so definitely visit playgrounding.com/slash/23, and you will find all of those links. Um, but thank you so much. I have so Thanks, enjoyed. Thanks, Kara. Yeah, it's been nice talking to you. <laughs> Bye. All right. Great. That was fun. Want to see a Rube Goldberg machine in action or see some of Brett's other amazing kinetic devices? Go to playgrounding.com 23 for videos and a link to his website. And guys, 2017 is shaping up to be really awesome for playgrounding. Seeds that were planted last year are blooming like crazy right now and you'll want to be on board. So be sure to subscribe to receive the best in play email newsletter with links and stories about what I'm discovering through the world of play. It's bigger, wider, and more amazing than I realized. Just go to playgrounding.com to sign up. I'll see you next week where we'll hear from Ryan Fay from the U.S. Play Coalition. See you next time.